eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beard. Let's get to it, New York. Let's begin in Los Angeles. So, Nick's earned a split in the weekend back-to-back in Los Angeles after this point lost to the Clippers on Saturday. The Knicks bounced back to knock off the Lakers 112-108. The Knicks got breakout performances from R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. Both guys struggled in the first two games of this West Coast trip that began in Sacramento on Thursday. Randle led all scorers with 33 points, eight rebounds, five assists in this one. R.J. Barrett finished with 30 points in this game. He had 13 in the fourth quarter, 20 in the second half. Um, Tommy, did you feel like this was a must-win game for the Knicks as they kind of struggled and they, they they looked like they were maybe headed in the wrong direction after that nine-game win streak, now snapping a three-game lose streak, losing streak? Yeah, I don't know if I'd uh, attach the, the must-win label to it, um, but I think it was, you know, if it wasn't a must-win, it was as close as you get to um, such a characterization. Like, this was an important game for the mixed, for the Knicks, make no mistake about it. Um, not only did they want to avoid a four-game losing streak, but, um, you know, it, it, it avoided the possibility of going 0-4 uh, on the road trip, potentially with a loss to Portland on Tuesday and coming home on a five-game skid and just really trending in the wrong direction. Um, with Miami, again, two games left with Miami, only 12 games left in the schedule. That would have inched them a little bit closer. We know the... the um, uh, the Nets are playing much better. They've won uh, five of six, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, a, um, a tie for the five and six seeds in the East um, between New York and Brooklyn. So, um, yes, uh, while, you know, it wasn't a make or break, you know, needed game where if they lost, you know, um, it didn't have quite, I, I don't know if we would we would attach the uh, the severity level of, you know, like a, a five alarm game. But this was a, a very important one, especially after how poorly Randall played Saturday. Um, and not just played, but but handled himself. Um, I thought this was an important game for a team to bounce back. And yes, the Lakers were without LeBron James, um, but they had won four or five and, and were playing, you know, some of their best basketball um, without LeBron, uh, their, their yeah. best basketball of the season. So um, it was a tough game, second night of a back-to-back. And just kind of showed, um, you know, what this Knicks team is about. Um, you know, we'll talk about, you, you mentioned Randall um, and Barrett, obviously the two 30-point scorers. Um, Knicks wouldn't have won without um, uh, uh, Randall getting off to another hot start, 18 points yeah. this quarter. Um, incredibly, with the Knicks still have 12 games left in the season, he scored more first-quarter points than any other Knick in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he moved past Carmelo Anthony um, during the 12, 2012-2013 season Sunday night. Um, so he had, you know, um, 
Randall getting the team off to a great start in the first quarter, in the first half, 25 points, and then RJ carrying them home in the second half. So obviously those are the, you know, kind of the two headliners. Um, but I thought really the supporting kick, the supporting cast was huge in this one, particularly um, we'll, we'll talk about Josh Harden. He always, you know, was, he's been fantastic since the moment he arrived, but I thought um, in particular, the contributions from Isaiah Hardenstein, despite the fact he didn't score a single point and Deuce yeah. McBride, um, you know, Deuce's defensive intensity, um, you know, running at the passing lanes, three steals. Um, he just kind of upped the intensity, ratcheted up the, the effort level from the Knicks, um, you know, whenever he was on the floor, which was essential. Um, 11 boards for Hartenstein, um, a couple steals, a block. He really just did a good job protecting the ball, nine points from Olby. So I thought those four reserves, um, you know, was, was really a uh, kind of a, um, you know, they're not going to get the, uh, you know, they're not going to be the lead in, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the recap. Um, but I thought those guys provided very important contributions and just kind of what this team has been about since day one. Um, Typically, it's Randall and Brunson, um, you know, sharing the, the the responsibilities in terms of scoring and distributing on a nightly basis. But it's the other guys picking their spots, seeing when the team needs them to lift them up. And, you know, 70 games into the season, the Knicks are 10 games over 500. Um, and you don't do that unless you have a really solid supporting cast, especially when you don't have a true, you know, quote unquote superstar. Um, and, and that's uh, we, and we saw that again Sunday night. That was a good reminder. Yeah, in, in many ways, this game really, I felt in some ways, was kind of won by the bench. I know RJ and Randall had these big games, and they don't win, of course, without those guys. But this was a game that was kind of very close. It, it was no, I don't know if any team at any point ever got a double-digit lead. This game was kind of played within the five to eight-point kind of range throughout the entire game. At times, it was a two, three-point game. And it seemed like any time the bench unit got out there on the floor, that's when the Knicks were able to extend to a seven, eight. At one point, I think they did have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Like, they like the bench unit. You look at all their plus minuses. You mentioned Hardenstein plus nineteen, McBride plus fifteen, Hart plus thirteen, Obi plus five. Um, and you look at the starters. All of these guys are minuses. Quickly was minus eleven. Mitch was minus fifteen. Um, then you got small minus plus minus deals. You got Randall minus one, Barrett even at zero, and Grimes at minus five. That kind of shows you where the, where the game was won. The game was won when that bench unit came in. They played spectacular. I thought one of the turning points of this game to me was kind of at the start of the fourth quarter when um, the bench unit, once again, looked like they were pretty much kind of dominating that uh, Lakers bench unit. And then to a point where it looked like maybe the Knicks will pull away and kind of make this a double digit game. If, you know, if Darwin Ham went with, you know, the usual substitution pattern of kind of keeping AD and Russell, who was blazing hot in this game out, you know, till around the six, seven minute mark, he brought them in about eight forty, eight fifty left in the fourth quarter because he kind of knew the game was going to get away. And, Credit to Tom Thibodeau. I really expected him to like, uh, you know, calm, uh, you know, counter that move with throwing Randall and throwing quickly those guys back in the game, and he didn't do that. He actually kept Obi and kept McBride and kept Hardenstein in the game. Hardenstein, I think, ended up finishing the game, and the Knicks held their own against even the star players for the Los Angeles Lakers, some of their key starters uh, in that time. But I think it gave Randall. Um, and quickly, some of these guys, the blow that they really needed. And then they came in around the six-minute mark, which is when they normally would come in, and they were able to hold on. So a lot of that had to do with the play of R.J. Barrett. I mean, I mentioned 13 points in that first, that fourth quarter. I think he had, uh, I think, 11 points in the first, like, six minutes of, the, of that fourth quarter. Why was R.J., in your opinion, so effective in that second half where he really took off? 
Yeah, I think it was just, you know, him attacking the basket, not settling for as many three-pointers. The one three-pointer he did hit, um, obviously, was very clutch late in the game. Um, mm-hmm. But he was just one of eight from downtown. Um, you know, he just, you know, got to the basket. Um, I, it was one of the uh, Lakers defenders. I think it was Austin Reeves that talked about, we know he's going left. Um, that's where he wants to go. It's just hard to stop him. Um, and he was playing downhill. Um, he's playing just, you know, not settling, getting to the basket um, and, 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 finishing around the rim just as importantly not only getting there but but making solid decisions um once you got into the paint um and you know again that's a game you know we talked about randall's good star we talked about the bench players but they would not have won that game if barrett didn't put on uh, you know didn't put up you know the 20 plus points he did didn't perform as uh you know didn't didn't pump in the points that they needed um because again obviously without Jalen Brunson they have a tough time finishing they almost have to build a little bit of a cushion um when Brunson's on the court we saw the Lakers make a dash back before um two late free throws from Josh Hart was eventually able to seal it with five seconds left um so you know those are all the, the you know those are the things that they needed but yeah I just think um Key for for Barrett again is 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 going to his strengths and his three point shot is just not falling right now. Um, six uh, last six games he's shooting seven of thirty nine from downtown. That's eighteen percent. Um, that's a that's a staggeringly low number. Um, and he's not the only one struggling from deep. Um, over that same six game stretch, Quentin Grimes nine of thirty one. Olby is three mm-hmm. from twenty. Um, th- those three are combined nineteen for ninety. Um, during that six game stretch. Um, you know, again, a lot of it has to do with, you know, we, we talk about how important Brunson is just for the, obviously his points per game average, et cetera. But, um, you know, the way he sets up the offense, the way he puts these, his teammates in position to succeed, um, all these numbers are highlighted and illustrated when we see him, um, not on the floor. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so again, for RJ, um, and we've talked about it and we'll talk about it again over the next couple of weeks for the Knicks to unlock their ceiling. Um, they need a, uh, not only a productive RJ Barrett, but an efficient RJ Barrett. Um, and, and, you know, and not necessarily the version of the second, the, the version of RJ we saw in the second half, because um, obviously you hope Jalen Brunson's back and therefore they don't need, mm-hmm. you know, he took 47 shots last night. Um, so the yeah. good news is he scored 30 points, but 27 field goal attempts is not a recipe for success for the Knicks um, when they're fully healthy, even if they're not fully healthy on most nights. Um, yeah. But again, if he can do that in spurts, the start of the fourth quarter, the start of the second quarter, when Randall and Brunson are out, if Tibbs continues to go with, with, um, you know, not staggering those guys' minutes. That's when RJ is going to have to play that version of himself. Um, so hopefully you, you see an increase in efficiency, um, but they need that productivity from him, off the, or, you know, in, in those spots. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, it's why I, I said that RJ to me was the X factor on this team, even though there may be other options where you think, you know, you consider them more of an X factor. But to me, it's like when Knicks get, you know, I agree. You don't necessarily want that version that you had in LA if Brunson's out there, but if they get kind of a light version of what they got from Barrett in LA with Brunson back, the Knicks, I think, can go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that that would be my ceiling for them because um, he's extremely tough when he gets downhill and he kind of has a plan. And he has a counter when the defense takes away certain things, which is kind of what we saw. I mean, he had some finishes in that game on Sunday night that I had not seen from him. I mean, and, and it wasn't like it was luck. It was clearly things that he had in his bag. He just hasn't really tried or 
maybe he's never pulled it on in the game. I mean, um, some really nice uh, left-handed finishes. Of course, he's left-handed, but he did an up or under right around the or in front of the basket that I was like, oh, I've never seen him do that before. Like he he had it all working. And when RJ is being aggressive, I think the Knicks uh, are at their best when he's being aggressive and being efficient, which is what they got in the second half, first half, which was a great four for ten in the first half. Um, if he can play that way, I think the Knicks are in good shape. I also think that to me, when I think of RJ's game, the three-point shot right now is broken. There's no other way to put it. Uh, when I look the way he shoots, I think that for some reason he's shooting with a much wider base than I'm used to. And I think that's why a lot of the shots are so off left and right. A lot of time you talk to shooters, a lot of it starts with your base, starts with where your, your feet are planted. And I don't, I don't think he's always square. I don't think he's always balanced. And I think that's why you're seeing some of these misses end up so bad. In fact, the one he made, I thought he had to shoot it quickly. He had to kind of get it up and he couldn't really think. And I think he actually had his best looking shot on that one. And I knew it was going to go in and it went in. So I don't know if that means he's got to go back to Drew Hanlon. But what I would say is I kind of wish that RJ this offseason, assuming he's back on the team, he needs to either watch a bunch of Jimmy Butler or get in the gym with Jimmy Butler, who also is, um, oh, I think he's with Chris Berkley, not Drew Hanlon. But um, because Jimmy Butler just doesn't take those shots anymore. Like, like Jimmy Butler is kind of a, just eliminated the three ball in his game. Like he'll take it every now and then to keep the defense honest. And he, but he'll only take maybe one or two a game. RJ, when he has a game like this, I mean, it was crazy during the broadcast. Mark, Mike Breen kept saying, you know, RJ is now, you know, seven for 10 from two, but he's over for six from three. And you hear that stat and you're just like, I mean, I, I know to some degree in, in the way the NBA is played, you got to keep, keep, keep the defense honest, but you don't feel like he can find a way to, get more two-point shots you would think his efficiency would rise up maybe he won't have the, the big point totals he would have considering he's a third option but i think he'd be a much better player at this point I totally agree and i think the butler comparison is a very good one also demar Derozan. i mean there are guys there are wings that have shown that you don't need to be a high volume three-point shooter to score effectively in the nba even today's nba um because of the uh, the, the the excessive amount of three-pointers that are taken there's a lot of space open in that two-point area if you can become an, a, a, you know a high efficiency two-point shooter um there's a place for you there's a place for you to increase your 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 productivity or efficiency and make you a more valuable nba player um and and kind of the one of the thoughts i've had over the last couple of weeks even while when barrett's struggling is not only is barrett's um, a strong play to close the second half and in the postseason important for the Knicks, obviously um, winning games over the next stretch and into the postseason, mm -hmm. et cetera. But if they're going to trade him this summer, which I actually think is um, if I, if you had to, if I, if you had to ask me um, if there was one big move the Knicks are going to make, I think it's, you know, trading RJ Barrett this summer, just because of his fit alongside Brunson and, 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 um, and Randall's a little bit clunky, not a great fit. Um, he's the kind of the one piece that they have that, that could bring something back, you know, considering his youth, um, just, just basically just increasing his trade value. Um uh, I, it would be important for him to kind of close out the season strongly as he did last season. Um, and, and remember, he played really well, averaged you know, absolutely 23, six and five, something like that, the last two months of the season. Um, so he's not, he's obviously not going to get to those numbers this season. Um, but again, you know, for him, it's not, it, it, you know, the points, it's just playing efficiently. And also, um, you know, him and Randall didn't play all that well defensively. Um, they kind of had, mm -hmm. had spots and starts here, uh, you know, at, at moments over the weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, again, but the, 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 the good point about Rand, uh, Barrett is he doesn't necessarily, yes, take the open three pointer, it's there. Um, but the other thing is you're going to see teams start to dare him. And you saw the Lakers do that a little bit, really, you know, give him a, an extra few feet until he starts knocking them down.
Yeah, and and another player he could watch, quite frankly, is Josh Hart. How many threes does Josh Hart turn down? Threes that, quite frankly, I think he should be taking sometimes. Yep. But yep. he turns them down. He ends up getting an assist with somebody. He ends up getting to the free throw line. Like, in some ways, he I think he kind of shocks the defense when he doesn't take those shots. Yes. And I think – I watched a very good clip. It was maybe three, four years ago with Eric Spolster where he was kind of explaining – he was at a coaching clinic. He was explaining kind of how offenses work in the NBA. And I guess he was talking about the mid-range game. And he said – Look, I know people talk about how, you know, we're not trying to take mid-range jump shots anymore. He's like, that's not necessarily true. Uh, we try to look for good shots everywhere. And you got to think at a certain point, if the defense is trying to take away the three, every defense in the NBA is trying to take away three, well, then as an offense, you have to counter with what shots are open, what shots are they giving you? <laughs> He's like, so if you're giving you open mid-range jump shots and you can hit those shots, um, then – you that should also be in your offense, and I thought I thought it was an absolutely brilliant. I definitely did a disservice probably explaining what Solcher said, but it was a brilliant explanation, just about how he kind of uh, looks at offensive efficiency and how he you know plays the game, how he coaches, and you know one of his best players, Gene Butler, lives in the mid range. So um, I, I you know RJ Barrett during his second year showed that he could hit that mid range jump shot streak he had a couple games where he was hitting it i don't know why he just like he goes to it and then he just like doesn't shoot it for like another two three months i, I don't know i don't get it but nonetheless it was a, it was a really great game from barrett so definitely shout out to him you mentioned randall uh and you mentioned the defense are, are you confident after that game that randall is back to being the randall we see most of the season not the player we saw it with the with the clip in that clipper game and i don't even want to leave it to just the clipper game because i thought that he wasn't maybe going crazy, but he kind of was off his rocker a little bit in that Sacramento Kings game. Um, and he played extremely poor in the Hornets game. So I, I to me, this has been, and I, and I said, we said on this podcast, I don't care how many points he had. I thought he had a bad game against the Celtics. So in my opinion, I thought Randall was coming into this game, play having played four miserable games in the Clipper game, seemed like a boiling point where he's got to be held back by Tom Thibodeau, which I had never seen before. Uh, multiple teammates trying to get him to calm down. Uh, are you confident that Randall's kind of put that aside and maybe that was the worst moment of the season and now he's kind of back? Or or, or what are you thinking of after seeing that uh, that Randall blow up we saw on Saturday? We'll see. Um, I'll just say this. Mm. The Knicks and, and Mr. Randall are lucky we didn't record a pod on Sunday. You know, that like this wasn't yeah. a typical game where we would record after because um, Randall would have got obliterated on this particular podcast um, because he cost the, the Knicks that game. Yeah. Uh, on Saturday night, uh, uh, for those that, that may have missed it or just recapping, uh, point three, uh, less than a second left in the third quarter, Nick's up one. Randall foolishly throws an elbow in Mason Plumley's face, um, gets hit with the technical. Um, so now instead of the Knicks going to the fourth with a lead, there, um, uh, Paul George hits the tech, Plumley hits both both free throws. Yeah, the Knicks they call foul on him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, so now the Knicks are down two points heading into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and then that's part of a 14 4 run for the uh, for the Clippers. Um, the first six minutes of the of the fourth quarter, Randall's pouting on the end of the bench with his arms folded. Um, you know, during this this 14 4 run. Um, and again, as, as you noted, right after he got hit with that technical, he loses his mind, um, screaming at uh, coaches, screaming at Fournier looked at a time, screaming at uh, Nick's security personnel. Tibbs has to literally put him in a bear hug, quickly tries to calm him down, doesn't work. Um, Fournier tries to calm him down, doesn't work. Johnny Bryant, you know, kind of gets him off in the corner, looked like tried to calm him. Some of the other assistants tried to calm him down, doesn't work. He's fuming, he's steaming. Um, you just can't have that. As, as a professional basketball team, unsurprisingly, the Knicks come out kind of just 
just on their heels in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, and Kawhi and Paul George put them away. Um, the Knicks' margin of error without Jalen Brunson's very small. Um, uh, then, uh, sorry, the Knicks' margin of error with Jalen Brunson yeah. You know, yeah. is, is small relative to the other top teams in the East. And again, the Knicks have been one of the better teams um, in the conference, in the league for the past three months. Um, without yeah. Jalen Brunson, it's flat out minuscule. Yeah, it's um, micro. It's microscopic without without, 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 without Jalen Brunson. Without Brunson on the on the floor, so that type of stuff can happen. Um, and it was kind of like you know, I just think of it like as a uh, you know, as, as you know, if you're if you're a parent and you see a kid, you know, behave really well for a whole school year, and then he gets into a you know, he was fighting the year before, and then he gets you know, and then he gets into another altercation, um, or you know, just you, 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 it was kind of like a relapse, uh, you know, a PTSD yeah. moment uh, for Knicks fans because we saw, it, and that was the Randall that really you know, kind of. Sabotaged himself and in, and in, and in turn kind of torpedoed the Knicks season in, in 2021-22. And to his credit, and we have given him a ton of credit here, and he's been given a ton of credit elsewhere. He deserves yeah. to make the All NBA team this year. He's yeah. played that well for that long. Seventy games never takes a night off. Um, and some of that emotion is is part of what drives the success. You know, it's kind of the the, the same. You know, the, the the reason people knocked AI was because he took so many shots. But that again, that was part of built into his fabric built into his DNA um, was just, was his, you know, his ability to think he can make any shot at any time. Um, And so with Randall, it's part of that competitiveness, but yeah, you're right. He was just, he was teetering. It looked like for a couple games there with the Kings. Um, And it just, you got the sense that Marcus Morris, uh, you know, if that game had been close and went into overtime or, you know, or they needed, you know, was everybody stayed on the floor for the full, you know, final six minutes that like Marcus Morris would have got Randall to throw a punch or, you know, in some way would have, would have got him ejected or suspended. Um, so I thought my thinking was after Randall pulled that nonsense at the end of the third quarter, Tibbs should have benched him the entire fourth quarter. Yeah. He didn't. Tibbs should have called him out post game. He didn't. Um, but that's kind of to be expected at this point. You know, yeah. at this point in time, we know how, how Tibbs is going to handle Randall. Um, but yes, yeah, so to, you know, as a roundabout way to answer your question, seeing is believing. I'm going to need Randall kind of settle down a little bit here. To his credit, came out strong Sunday night, kept his you know kept his emotions in check. Um, but that's things that he needs to do. Um, you know, when when the intensity gets ratcheted up, because it's only going to get higher and higher and higher. We saw him struggle last year in the postseason. Uh, sorry, the, the year prior when the Knicks yeah. had the four seed, he was terrible in that Atlanta series. And part of that is 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 maintaining emotions, the deep breaths, and and the things that you know we've given him credit for. Um, you know, kind of changing his mental approach is what he's going to need to do over these final twelve games and when the postseason starts. So you know, I'll I'll, I'll just say, seeing is believing. Let's see if he can do it when the moments matter most. Yeah, I'll say quickly that uh, that was alarming to me, you know, because when I when I've talked about Randall's career with the Knicks and, and that turn that happened um, after the Knicks made the playoffs and in that Hawks series, I felt like that Hawks team in some ways broke them. It wasn't just a physical domination. I thought it was a mental domination. I think the way they were physical with him, the way they talked about him during that series, the way they talked about him after the series – I just thought it it, it 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 sparked a shift in Randall from a personality standpoint that we saw a little bit in his first year, but it got dark in that third year. It was he was yeah. just he was he was un, out of control, and I felt like it was deja vu on Saturday. It was Ty Lue in the pregame saying we're going to put Marcus Morris on him and we're going to be physical in them all game. And I was like, wow, I I just I was shocking to me that that they they would just say that right before a game like that, and I was like. Okay, that's a little interesting. I haven't seen anybody talk about Randall like that before a game this season. Let's see how he handles it. 
And then in the game, Morris is talking trash to him. He's beating him up. He's being physical. Plumlee's being physical, throwing him around. Randall was just out of control with the refs. I'm like, again, a game where he could have easily been thrown out with how much he was complaining. And then you see the incident happens at the end of the third quarter. And I thought I was seeing in, in like a in like a short 48-minute version of what I saw essentially from that Hawks series into the 2022 season. So Randall, now to his credit, he was able to kind of shift gears very quickly into the Laker game and play really well for the most part. Like, I think that there were – that was an interesting first half where I, I did see some not closing out on defense, not boxing people out. But then he was hitting these incredible shots and making these incredible moves. And in some ways, that was the most Julius Randle first half you'll ever see from him. But the fact that he was able to put it together and put together a good game, I think was a good sign. But it was just a little alarming that, like, a team could get him so far off of his game that quickly, that easily, and for him to, to go right back to where he was last season, despite all the good things about the fact that he's smiling more and all that stuff. All that went away real quick as soon as he wasn't getting his way and the team was able to get in his head and get physical with him. That cannot happen because that's what playoff basketball is. That's what he's going to see in a couple of weeks. So he can't he, he can't react that way. It's just it's unacceptable. A hundred percent. And whatever team they play, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Celtics. Yeah. And one thing to keep, to keep in mind, um, the the Sixers who have won five in a row are just like one and a half games back behind the Celtics for that two seed. So that's something right. we'll keep an eye on as the Knicks yeah. are potentially in the sixth seed, um, who ends up in that three seed. It's very interesting. Um, but yes, they they whatever team the Knicks play in the first round, they likely won't come. Maybe they will come out and say it. We're going to get physical with him. We're going to try to get into his head. We're going to, yeah. you know, a couple extra elbows. You know, we're going to use maybe a backup and, and you know, pull Reed if they play Philadelphia, foul him a few yeah. more times. Um, but that it, whether they say it to the media or not, they're going to say it in the locker room, pregame, postgame, right. halftime. Get inside Randall's head, make him, you know, make him work for all his points. Hopefully he starts yelling at the refs. Hopefully he starts yelling at his teammates. Um, because if he does that, then he's not uh then then he's then he's a lesser version of himself. And one other thing to point out, I think is important because we talked about him teetering and then finally going over the edge Saturday has been the importance of Jalen Brunson on this team as a whole, as the yeah. ship's captain to kind of guide them through choppy waters, um, but particularly his impact on, on, on Julius Randle. Obviously the production, um, you know, I think it's uh, JJ Redick had it during the stat during, during the game last week. I think they're third in terms of uh, Brunson to Randle total points scored this season, that, that two player combination. Yeah. Um, but just, and, and we know about the production efficiency, et cetera, but just the on-court demeanor, um, Jalen Brunson's steady hand, um, just the calm. He never gets, you know, he never plays faster than than the, you know, than he wants to play. He's always playing at his own pace, and just just seems to have a calming effect on the team as a whole. Um, just basically, just one huge like uh, yoga breath when they when they need it, yeah. um, and that's something they've been missing these last couple of games, and obviously something they've needed in the clutch. And they, we've seen it when they when they faltered without Brunson on the floor, and also just uh, Randall in general. Um, Jalen Brunson's just uh, his. Just basically, it's almost as if his, um, you know, just his presence on the court directly impacts Randall's move. Yeah, exactly. So that, that I, I think that that whole thing doesn't happen in Brunson plays, frankly. Mm -hmm. and, and I think in some ways, like I'm looking at the characters that are involved in this story on Saturday. I'm looking at him yelling at Evan Fournier. I'm looking at him yelling at, uh, you know, uh, you know, other guys that have been on the team before, like guys yeah. that were there last season. To me, it was like, oh, this is like this is last season. Like this is. Yeah what we had like Randall having a terrible game inefficient young at the refs. Now he's blowing up to the point where now he's young at his teammates, young at everybody. He's being held back. Assistant coaches can't control him. Like the only difference, the main difference this season is that Jalen Brunson 
is on the team. Now he was on the bench. He couldn't, he wasn't obviously right. playing, right. but I just think if he's in, he's in that game, he's playing. I, I think Randall has, has talked about how much he respects Brunson. I, I just yeah. think that they have a relationship where I, I don't think he even pulls that, which is, that to me is a little, that also is alarming. Like, I don't, I don't like yes. the idea that like, because Brunson didn't play, he felt like he could just be a wild man. Like that, that, and, that can't happen. And it's something minor, but it's just kind of, I think a, a, a illustration of our point Randall should not be taking technical free throws when Isaiah when when yeah, Emmanuel what, yeah, what was, in the yeah, game. What was that yesterday? Yeah, and and it's happened before. And I again, yeah. I think it's just kind of a, a sense of entitlement. The last we've credited Randall, you know, time and time right. again this season, and he deserves it for the, how as well as he played. But the next step to his evolution as a basketball player is his evolution as a leader and kind of a you know a, a, a primary focal point of the offense and and just you know he's being he's one of the highest paid players in the team and he'll continue to do so. He needs to in some respects, humble himself a little bit um, and, and figure out, okay, I understand I want to get my points up, et cetera. But the, the in order for us to win, even if it's a 0.0001% chance, because I'll probably make the free throw in a manner quickly, you know, but quickly is a higher percentage free throw shooter. And, it, you know, the, the game may not come down to one point, but it might. Let your best free throw shooter on the floor take the free throw. And two, and, and it's kind of circling back. We've seen it before when Brunson and Randall on the floor together. Brunson steps to the free throw line yeah. and takes the technical. Um, so that's the kind of respect that Brunson should show to his teammates. And hopefully we'll kind of see that maturity. And again, it's important to remember he's in the prime of his career, but he's still a 28-year-old person, um, has some growing and maturing to do. So hopefully he'll continue to do so. Yeah, Knicks win this game 112-108. I did think it was interesting. Uh, JVG was on the broadcast and he was extremely critical of Randall in the first quarter. Um, it's almost like he was kind of ready for a bad Randall game given how he had been playing. And he spoke about his inefficiency late in games and he talked about the uh, you know inconsistent effort on the rebounding and not boxing out Jared Vanderbilt, who was killing Knicks on the offensive glass first quarter. Um, and I, in some ways, I really loved it because. You know, sometimes we got to get in this world where it's like, oh, if a guy has a good season, you just can't say anything bad about him or how he can improve, how he can continue to still help the team. And there you got, uh, you know, one of the greatest coaches ever coached the Knicks telling you why Randall it, it, it needs to get to another level. What is keeping Randall back from getting to the, you know, perennial All-NBA, real superstar level that the Knicks, quite frankly, need? And I, it was very refreshing, I think, to hear some of the commentary from Van Gundy uh, on that game on Sunday. So true. And it's a good point. And it, it, it harkened back to last year, there was a multiple national television games where Van Gundy destroyed Randall yeah. as, as, as harsh as, as any, you know, saying you literally saying you cannot have this from your, your best player. You cannot have this from your highest, but the team will, you're a losing team. If this player is, is this effort is represented. And honestly, you know, putting on my kind of tinfoil hat for a minute, I've thought, you know, dating back to that last season, we know Tibbs refuses to to uh, admonish Randall in any way, shape, or form, no matter the offense. Um, we yeah. have a history of that now, three years. Yeah, I I think, and and I'm speculating here that Van Gundy is a speak is speaking for Tibbs, kind of saying He's, that these two are close. These two have a long, yeah. a, a long relationship dating back to the '90s with the Knicks. So I think. Van Gundy is expressing, you know, he's, he's not that's he's not conjuring that up out of thin air. Um, and right. he watches enough basketball to have his own opinions. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he's getting some of that 
behind the closed doors coaching staff commentary from the Knicks and saying, hey, Jeff, you know, like maybe light a fire under um, Randall. See, we, we won't say it, but let's see if, yeah. so we'll see if he hears it from somebody else, if, you know, how, how he kind of digests. I mean, it's, it is interesting because, I mean, you're not going to get an MSG because James Dolan yes. will, will not stand for that. So, Correct. so it's interesting. I didn't, I, I actually had different tinfoil thought. I, I've kind of thought that maybe this was Van Gundy kind of angling his way to see, show why he should be a different when this thing eventually, you know, uh, you know, falls apart or whenever it just doesn't work out with Tibbs, him saying, "Hey, this is uh, why, you know, if I was doing this, uh, things would be different." And I don't know that. So yeah, both I think could be interesting theories, but that's an interesting one.